Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. My guests this week are Laura and Paula Chambers. I had the pleasure of meeting Laura and Paula at the Colorectal Cancer Alliance conference last November in Cleveland and just really enjoyed talking to the two of them. They are high school sweethearts and have been together for over 30 years. And they reached out to me and really wanted uh, an opportunity to share their story uh, in celebration of Pride Month. Uh, They wanted to let the world know and particularly let gay couples know how to prepare for some of the life challenges that can come your way. Uh, Paula was diagnosed with colorectal cancer just a few days after they were married. And, you know, the fact that they were able to get married because the laws in this country had changed was such a momentous occasion for them only to find Paula diagnosed with colorectal cancer short time after. So join me now for this powerful conversation with Laura and Paula Chambers. Paula, Laura, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that we were finally able to make this happen. How are the two of you doing? We're doing really well. Very uh, well, thank you. Very well, and thank you for having us. Glad that we could get some time in to speak with you. <laughs> Me too. You know, um, we finally got the chance to meet in, I think it was November of last year, at the Colorectal Cancer Alliance conference in Cleveland. That's a lot of C's, colorectal cancer conference in Cleveland. <laughs> and and I, if I remember, Linda and I met you, ran into you at the reception at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we got in a whole conversation because of Paul, I think if I remember, you were telling me about all the m- rock and metal music that you were into. Do I have that right? Do I remember that? You do. do I, okay, I, I, <laughs> I'm not more happy about that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll gonna, I'm gonna put it out there. I'll, be, I'll be stereotyping and, and I'll claim guilty of that. I don't know too many African American women that say they're into metal and heavy hard rock. So, um, <laughs> that, you know, that's on me. I'll own it. But I, I remember having that we had some laughs, laughs about that, um, and. You know, the, the first thing that that really struck me uh, meeting the two of you is you two have been together a really long time. Yeah, we're high school yeah. sweethearts. We met in my family's originally from Colorado and we moved to Houston, 85, 84, end, think, of 84? end of 84. Mm-hmm. And I met Laura. <laughs> we had a band in common that we still have in common. They're, you're, you're probably too young to remember them, but they're called they're called Duran Duran. Oh, I, I, Simon LeBon. Of course, I know who Duran Duran is. We, that brought us together, and we've been together ever since. Yeah, I, I every now and then I get to interview high school sweethearts. I'm trying to think who were the last ones, uh, Danielle and Mike from uh, Fight CRC, but uh, 
So that's, we're going on what, 34 years? Do I have that right? Yep. And, you know, a lot has transpired, not just for the two of you, but what was it like for both of you when you finally realized that you were going to find a way to legally be married? What was your reaction when that first happened? Well, you know, for a long time, just because it was never a really a, a real a viable option. And we just were like, well, we we won't get married. We won't do what straight people do and right. we'll be together and we'll make everything as legal as possible. But then when we found out you could get married in New York and we we met some people that were helping in the fight to get for um, legal marriage for gay people all over the country. We really believed there was a chance that it could happen. So we were like, this is ridiculous. If we can do this, why wouldn't we do this? We've been together forever. We're not going anywhere. And we want to we wanna have legal status like every other couple. So we just said, let's do this. Got on a plane and went to New York and got married on the High Line. Oh, on the High Line. Oh, I've been there. I know exactly where that is. Oh, my goodness. And when was that? We got married. Go ahead. October 17th, 2014. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to check it together. Oh, okay, Lori, you passed the test. <laughs> so you're coming up on on, on four years uh, offic officially. And, yeah. and I remember the four of us chatting briefly when we met in Cleveland and that we quickly had this diagnosis tied to marriage thing that I had with Linda and Paula, you and Laura have too. So tell us a little bit about the timing of your diagnosis as it related to uh, when the two of you got married. Well, so I had been sick probably that entire year of 2014 off and on yes, off and on and i kept going back to my pcp and they would say oh you the you don't have stomach ache they give me like antibiotics, antibiotics a, lot a lot of times medicine for my stomach and when we went to new york for the wedding i just i had lost so much weight but i thought it was because i was trying to look cute in my wedding dress <laughs> <laughs> did she but, look did know, she look cute in her wedding dress Laura. She did, of course. <laughs> but I had a lot of the now I know classic symptoms of uh, colorectal cancer. I I had um I was anemic. Um, you know, stuff was food wasn't staying down. Uh, I mean, it was just it was bad. And the day after we got married, we uh, I got really sick in New York, like yeah. really really sick, and it just kind of it messed up the trip. And after we got home. Uh, I went to the doctor a couple more times, but everybody was like, there's nothing wrong. And it ended up in, by the time January came around, I was just writhing in pain and nothing was coming out, but blood, excuse me, being graphic there. Uh, hey, this is our life. There's no excuse me's needed. <laughs> We're all used to it. Yeah. And, um, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, we just, I ended up going to the emergency room and, well, I'll let you take it from there, Laura. You can tell them what happened. Okay. So I remember, I think it might have been a Monday, and she had been in extreme pain all weekend long. Nothing was helping. And she was calling me at work saying, there's something wrong. I just, I don't know what's going on. This is not normal. 
And I got home that afternoon around five and same story, just so much pain on one side of her abdomen and her back. It was really bad. And eventually I said, you know, if you want to go to the emergency room, just say the word, we're going to pick up, we're going to go. And probably by 8 p.m. that night, she's like, I can't handle it anymore. Let's go to the yeah. hospital. And we, once we got to see the doctors and they did the test and stuff, they basically came in there and said, you're not leaving. Right. They said, we're going to admit you into the hospital. And that, yeah, we found a huge blockage and you're not leaving and we got to get you emergency care right away. That was January 26th of 2015. So they said, we're keeping you in the hospital. Did they at that point know why or they were keeping you because they wanted to find out why? They were pretty sure I had a tumor um, because they had seen it on the scan and they actually thought it was worse than it ended up being. They thought it was massive and it had grown into my abdomen. And so they were keeping me there to decide whether or not they were going to start chemo and radiation before trying to remove the tumor or just to decide if they should remove the tumor and then go from there. I was in the hospital about a week. You were in the hospital for a week while they were trying to decide what to do. By that time, they had told us that she had a baseball-sized tumor in the colon, and they did think that it was growing into the colon wall and um, into the abdominal wall, I think is actually what they said. And um, they were just trying to figure out what would be the best course of care. And as it ended up, they... put her in what they called the cancer board. We were at the state hospital here in Houston, Bentop, and they had a group of cancer doctors from all different specialties that would meet and they would convene about certain cases. They would all talk about these cases and put in their perspective from their different specialties and try to decide what's the best course of treatment for this particular patient and they put Paula's case into that board. And I think that made an enormous made a, uh, difference. Yeah, it made a lot of difference. And the care that she got. I wasn't at MD Anderson cause we didn't have MD Anderson insurance, <laughs> oh, but I did doc- doctors from MD Anderson actually ended up looking at my case. So it made a big difference that you had access to, uh, I, I know where I go, they call it a tumor board. So it sounds like, sounds like the same thing. Yeah. So this all happened. You just got married. You're, this is something that we all expect to, to celebrate and think of back on as a happy occasion. And you get thrust into this. Uh, Laura, as the caregiver, what was your first reaction? I was completely shocked and couldn't believe that they were telling us that she had cancer because neither one of us have ever dealt with anything like that in our family histories um, with close friends or anything. So it was completely shocking. And the fact that they were not going to even let her go home and the beginning was just, it was terrifying really. But I, Paula tells me now, she's like, you know, you never cried. You never showed any emotion. And I was like, well, I was just trying to be strong for you. I wasn't going to break down in front of you and be weak because you needed my support. I needed to be there and be strong for you and be your backbone. So that's what I did. She got to work. 
she, we had gotten the will and everything before we got married, but we had never got any of it signed or anything. Right. So she had to scramble, but she got it done. Paula, what was your reaction when she said that, that she felt she needed to be strong for you when you asked her why, why was she not showing any emotion? How did you feel about her say, about, about that response? You know, Lee, um, there was a part of me that just felt bad, like I was putting her through this. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't helping her. There was nothing I could do, though. I was, you know, I I felt bad. I felt bad, but. Guilty? You know, we've. Yeah, I felt guilty. I did. I felt guilty that I got sick. That's not unusual. Yeah. You know, uh, you probably, uh, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. I'm wondering if you felt the way that I did because our stories are a little bit similar. Thinking, yeah. thinking that my goodness, she didn't sign up for this. Yes, but you know we've been together a long time. We, you know, we sat through thick and thin, and I never, I never worried that she would waver or. But you know, you hear stories. I mean. It's unfortunate, but people do. There are people out there that just can't handle when their partner gets really ill. And I'm just blessed that my partner is strong and determined. And she was there for me 100%. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Laura, where does that strength, where does that strength come from? You know, I just, that's just the way that I am. I just wasn't going to turn my back on her. I had to support her and I had to take care of the things that she couldn't do at the time. And so I just stepped up to fill in those gaps. Almost sounds like you're describing a reflex. Yeah, it was just instinctual. I didn't even think about it. We did call our family and friends, though. Let me be clear about that. (laughs) We were like, this is a surrender in anybody out there that can be there for Laura you know, our friends, we had friends come in from all over the world, no joke. Germany, Amsterdam, our friends flew in from New York, from Dallas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we had people have that had our backs, and we were very grateful for that. And that definitely helped. I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated. And if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling with this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavor, or artificial colors. My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code CC. P-O-D, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Be sure to stick around at the end of this interview for our new Ask the Doctor segment and to learn how you can get your rear in gear. 
know, I've, I've heard it said, and, and, and I think it's true that cancer magnifies relationships. If a relationship is strong, it magnifies the strength in the relationship. But if a relationship is not strong, it'll magnify that too. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I can see how if you were already fractured, this is a tough time. Financially, it was really difficult because you, you've lost one person's income. You know, I couldn't work. Disability takes a while. The insurance, I thank gosh, we got Obamacare. Yeah. I mean, because I was never able to get on her insurance until we got married. And then it was legal in the state of Texas. Her, her, her job was like, no, we don't. Sorry, we don't do that. And there's a lot of companies here that don't. I can see how if you already had fractures or cracks and you already were going through some kind of maybe financial you know, difficulties or something, cancer just magnifies that, you know? I want to go back. Uh, you, you mentioned paperwork. You mentioned living will, will. Talk to me about the challenges that you faced being a, a gay couple, having been married in one state, and all of a sudden now you're having to navigate insurance. What were some of the challenges that you ran into that a straight married couple like myself and my wife would not have to deal with? Well, for sure, the living will, getting that living will together. And I, I wish we had done it earlier. You know, we, it was a rush job. But it made all the difference because it it made the hospital staff have to take our relationship seriously. And they had to go to Laura as my partner. Even if it wasn't legal here in the state of Texas, she was my legal, as far as the living will, she was my legal uh, guardian, I guess, the person that would, you would have to go to if anything was wrong. It was Laura. And I made sure that everybody knew that on the staff. So we took that to administration. And, you know, listen, I know that there's people who just don't agree with gay marriage, if you want to call it that, especially a lot of people here in the state of Texas. But once we had that legal piece of paper, they had to treat both of us with the dignity and respect that they would treat any other couple. But I think without it, it could have been a problem. Looking back, is there anything in that area that you wish you had done differently that would have made things a little bit easier? Well, certainly, I guess I would have had, I would not have waited for that stuff because anything could have happened. You know, I wish that we had that together already. I wish we had already had it signed and already had the notarized and everybody had copies, you know, I, I think I really dropped the ball on that. I would tell people, you know, just being prepared is better than not being prepared. And you should all, you know, you need to get together the things that you, you would need in an emergency. That is something I would definitely do differently. Yes, I agree. So Laura, I'm going to pin you down here because I want people who are listening who may be in, uh, you know, hopefully not, but may find themselves in a similar situation that they can say, hey, I listened to the two of you and I followed your advice and it was really helpful. So I'm going to pin you down to be a little bit more specific. What do you recommend people do now before they need it? I think you definitely need to have a living will in place. Because anything can happen at 
any time. And you need to have it specified. What do you want to happen to you when you can no longer make decisions for yourself? Who is there to make those decisions for you? What's going to happen to your property, your pets, your home, all of that? It needs to be clearly specified so nobody can question it. Did you do it yourself? Did you have help with an attorney? Did you get notarized? Give me some more details. We, here. Did, have, uh, we did have an attorney draw up the wills for us, and it was an extremely easy process to do. Mm-hmm. We just had to sit down with her. I believe it took 15 minutes for each one of us to sit down with her and specify exactly what we wanted. And then after that, we just had to go and get it notarized. And that was it. Yeah. You do have to turn it into the hospital. They scan it to have it on file. Right. So you're talking about both a will and a living will. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. What about an advanced directive? Did we do that too? That was part of the living will, the advanced directive. We have that as well. So here's the important question, Paula. How's your health today? Really good. So I have an oncology visit next week. Good and um, thank you. They have, t- I'm, I'm basically NED at this point. Yes. They have taken me down. I was doing every six months because the nature of the tumor. Every three months. Every three months, excuse me. And this year they moved me to every six months. Oh, congratulations. And then. You and then um, I'll have another colonoscopy next year. Is that correct? No, I think that it's when you turn fifty, right? So yes, it would be. Next yeah, year. that's next year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll have another uh, colonoscopy next year, and so far so good. You know, we're just really blessed. We we've got really great people keeping an eye on us, making sure I'm doing okay. And, uh, I, you know, we've been, we've been really lucky. Has this whole experience changed your relationship? I think it's made us stronger. Definitely. I think we communicate more. And when you go through something like this, it really puts things into perspective for you as far as what's important in your life. You know, there's so many things that we just get wrapped up in uh, that aren't important to you in the grand scheme of things. And you, you lose sight of what the important things in your life are. So when something like this happens, all of that just falls away. And you realize, you know, this person that I love and care for that's sick, this is the most important thing to me. And it just really drew us closer together. Not everybody is as lucky as, as Paula is to have a Laura by their side who just immediately said, all right let's get to work and what do we need to do here? You know, sometimes people have a really hard time when they get news like this. So Laura advice for someone that may be listening to this, who they, uh, you know, someone they care deeply about, uh, recently got a diagnosis and they're a little freaked out as to how they're going to get through and what to do. I would say talk to people you know, lean on the support of your family and your friends. Reach out to the communities like the Colorectal Alliance for help because there are people out there who have already been through this and that is the best place for you to start. Talk to somebody that's already been through this and they can give you advice. They can point you in the right direction. They really can help you and be a good support system for you. 
Was that helpful to realize that you weren't alone? That other people have been down this path? Absolutely, yes. Paula, if you nod your head anymore, I'm worried you're going to hurt your neck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was a lifesaver to find some of these communities. Like, we found coal in town. We got so lucky and just... You know, on those days where she was home by herself, she would just go on there and read other people's stories. How are other people dealing with this? What does this mean? What what does this diagnosis mean? I mean, it was so helpful to have other people that have gone through it. And we also contacted some peer-to-peer cancel, uh, cancer counselors that were in the area that, you know, would call and check on us. It was um, reaching out to communities like that is, was just wonderful, wonderful. Support is important, and it's you can't only rely on each other, right? Sometimes you need more than just each other. Absolutely, and I, the thing is, I wasn't, I, I wasn't physically there for her. They had me, you know, on so many medications, and I was just in so much pain. She. She really was by herself. She, you know, she, she'd be at the hospital as much as she could, but, you know, we still had, she still had, somebody had to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm so glad that you reached back out and uh, took a little bit of time to, to make this happen, but I'm thrilled first and foremost to hear how well you're doing, Paula, and that you're NED and good luck with the scan next week. By the time this podcast comes out next week, we'll have come and gone. So uh, you'll let me know uh, the good news because I'm sure that's what it'll be. And and I'll update uh, this recording and let people know that you got another good scan and thing, things are good. So uh, most first and foremost, I want to want to say that. But I appreciate you both uh, sharing your story. And I know the community is going to really appreciate the advice that you shared that you learned you know, through some challenges. And thank goodness you were able to navigate through it. But now you're able to help guide others who are, might come down this path. And I'm sure that the advice that you shared is, is going to help other people. So uh, I really appreciate that. Okay. I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity. Um, and I hope that any, you know, if anybody got anything out of this, it could just be take care of each other and be prepared for anything. Make sure you reach out for help if you need it. Great advice. I appreciate it. I'm Laura and I'm Laura. We're here with Lee and we have cancer. We have three Get Your Rear in Gear events taking place between now and the end of July. All of these events are 5K run, walk, and kids fun run events. First one taking place this Saturday in Rochester, Minnesota at East Silver Lake Park. Following that stop, we go out to the West Coast to San Francisco on July the 8th. That is taking place at Lake Merced Sunset Parking Lot. And rounding out July is our Get Your Rear and Gear event taking place in Tinley Park, Illinois on July 22nd at Community Park in Tinley Park, Illinois. And that's your Get Your Rear and Gear events for June and July. Welcome to Ask the Doctor, where your questions regarding cancer and cancer treatment are answered by Dr. Tim Cannon. 
Dr. Cannon is with the Inova Medical Group in Fairfax, Virginia, and he's a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in gastrointestinal cancers. Dr. Cannon, thanks for being on the show as usual. As you know, I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor myself, and I know, you know, we kind of bridge colon cancer, but we call it colorectal cancer. What is the difference in terms of treatment for people like myself, colon cancer versus rectal cancer? And why, if those treatments are different, why is that so? Right. So, you know, that's a great question. A lot of times um, colorectal cancers are sort of lumped together. Um, and that's because, you know, some the type of chemotherapies that are given for the cancers are very similar and um, they look very similar under the microscope. But because of where they occur anatomically, there are some differences in how they are treated. So um, rectal cancers sit lower in the pelvis. And, um, and because of that, they're close to a lot of soft tissue and, and muscle and other organs uh, that make their pattern of spread a little bit different. Um, you know, when a rectal cancer is cut out and then comes back, it often comes back in the region of the rectum you know, to the, to all of the many structures there in the pelvis that the tumor can stick to. So as opposed to a colon cancer, which usually is occurring in sort of a hollow viscous that's sitting in the middle of sort of empty space in your abdomen. And so when those spread, they usually get into the bloodstream and spread to a distant organ rather than just right in the neighborhood of where they started. So when, um, when we see a patient with rectal cancer, we usually like to give radiation for, you know, not for all cases, not for the really early cases or the really advanced cases, but for the sort of in-between stage two and three cancers, we give radiation uh, treatment first before surgery. And uh, that's helpful because of all the places that are right around the rectum where the tumor can stick to. And we can sort of, uh, you think about cancer like flowers and seeds. And, you know, the tumor is a flower made of many cancer cells but the seeds may be uh, spread to local structures. And so when you give radiation to the pelvis and hit all the areas around the rectum, you're sort of able to clear the seeds out of all those areas. Uh, we don't do, um, so we typically do radiation first and then do a surgery. For colon cancer, the, again, the, the colon is, um, is sort of hanging in the middle of the abdomen. And uh, there's, when you give radiation, there's not sort of a lot of useful targets to radiate and you end up getting um, uh, diarrhea from the radiation and not a lot of other benefit. And so I think that's the, that's the main difference up front for the treatments, radiation for rectal cancer, no radiation typically for uh, colon cancer, at least at the beginning. And so um, I think that's one major difference. Um, you know, the, the surgeries are also fairly similar. Of course, if you have your uh, rectal cancer at the very bottom of, uh, of the rectum, you sometimes need an ostomy, which uh, is another difference between how colon cancers and rectal cancers are often treated. That's helpful. Thank you so much. Appreciate the information. All right. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsors, H2ORS and the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.